Section 84 of Stratagems and Conspiracies to Defraud Life Insurance Companies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Piotr Nater. Stratagems and Conspiracies to Defraud Life Insurance Companies. An Authentic Record of Remarkable Cases. By John B. Lewis and Charles C. Bombal. Problematic Cases, Part 6, The Wackerle Puzzle, Part 1. No case within our knowledge has presented such conflicting testimony and led to such opposite conclusions as that of Valburga Wackerle in the prosecution of claims against two prominent insurance companies. The persistence of this woman under the most discouraging circumstances not only elicited sympathy from the public, but even from the officers of the insurance companies who resisted her claims, and it was only from the fullest and firmest conviction that her claims were fraudulent that they were able to resist them. This conviction, forcible from the first presentation of the claim, was strengthened by subsequent and exhaustive examination of the circumstances of the case. The fact that the death of the claimant's husband has never been proven, that the alleged remains were never satisfactorily identified, that another person, and not Wackerle, was known to have been killed at the time of his alleged death, that Wackerle was found and fully identified by scores of neighbors and friends, that he was a pensioner of the government, were sufficient to justify resistance, no one will deny. On the other hand, there was conflicting evidence as to the identity of Wackerle. His poor memory respecting his children, their names, etc., influenced the jury, no doubt, to render a verdict as they did. The following history of the case we reprint from Rough Notes, Indianapolis, by permission of the publishers. In Carver County, Minnesota, lived a plain, honest German farmer by the name of William Wackerle. Through his economical habits and untiring industry, he accumulated sufficient to purchase a farm and live comfortably upon it. At the call of the government for troops to suppress the northern secession movement, he enlisted and became a member of Company H, 9 Regiment, Minnesota Volunteer Infantry. He served two years in the Union Army and was discharged on account of sickness. In the year 1867, he sold his farm and other property for $3,000, the proceeds of which Mrs. Wackerle took. They moved to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where, under the persistent importuning of his wife, he insured his life for $3,000 in the Aetna Life Insurance Company of Hartford, Connecticut, and four thousand dollars in the mutual life of new york the policies were made payable in the event of his death to his wife valburga wackerle soon after obtaining the insurance they moved to detroit michigan they had resided but a short time at the latter place when wackerle left his family and it appears went to california his wife followed him there and through advertising found him at sacramento subsequently they came east and took up their residence in quincy illinois they had resided there but a little while, when Wackerle again left home for parts unknown. This was in the latter part of the year 1871. After waiting over a year and not hearing from her husband, Mrs. Wackerle again started in pursuit of him. When she arrived in St. Louis, she called upon John Wackerle, his brother, for the purpose of ascertaining, if possible, where William had gone. As John knew the trials his brother had endured, and that he intended to abandon his wife, he told her he believed her husband had gone south. She immediately started upon the supposed trail. 
When she arrived in Shreveport, Louisiana, she got information that the year previous, December 25, 1872, a man was killed on the Texas Pacific Railroad by being run over by a train of cars nine miles from that city. Assuming that it was her husband, she commenced at once to procure evidence to that effect. The agent of the Etna Company at Shreveport furnished her with blanks indicating what was necessary to establish his identity and death. In February 1874, Mrs. Wackerle visited the Etna office in Hartford with the proofs of death. She represented to the officers of the company that she was very poor, and that she had endured great hardships in getting the proofs and reaching Hartford. Her general appearance indicated the truthfulness of her statements. She was told by the president of the Etna that the company was entitled to ninety days in which to investigate the justness of the claims, and if found correct it would be paid promptly when due. Mrs. Wackerle also presented the claim to the mutual life of New York, and was told by that company that as the Etna was to make an investigation of the case, it would wait the action of that company and be governed by its conclusions. The proofs of death furnished by Mrs. Wackerle were incomplete and unsatisfactory, and the justness of the claim could only be determined by an investigation. Two affidavits identified the party killed as Wackerle. In one, the deponent was made to say that on the 25th of December, 1872, a man by the name of William Wackerle, well known to the deponent, having worked with him on Section 2 of the Texas Pacific Railroad, was killed by being run over by the freight train, and further says that he saw said Wackerle after his death and knows him to have been the same party he knew alive by that name. The other affidavit stated that on the 25th of December, 1872, one William Wackerle, a laborer on the Texas Pacific Railroad, was killed at a place about nine miles from the city of Shreveport by being run over by a train of the Texas Pacific Railway Company, that he was present and saw said William Wackerle deceased when his body was sent to Shreveport for coroner's inquest and interment, that he has frequently heard the deceased spell his name, W-E-C-K-E-R-L-E, to deponent. The certificate of death and burial gave the name of the deceased as unknown. Mrs. Wackerle furnished other affidavits in which it was stated that a man was killed on the 25th of December, 1872, and they have since heard and been led to believe it was William Wackerle. The companies had every reason to believe that a man had been killed upon the railroad near Shreveport, as alleged, but the evidence showing it was Wackerle, and the husband of the claimant, was of a questionable character, to say the least. In order to ascertain the facts, an employee of the Etna went to Shreveport and made careful inquiry. He ascertained that the two affidavits identifying Wackerle as the party killed were made by ignorant freedmen, who could neither read nor write. When the affidavits they had made were read to them, they declared that their ignorance had been taken advantage of, and what the affidavits contained was not true. They simply intended to state that a man was killed on the Texas Pacific Railroad on the 25th of December, 1872. The man killed belonged to a gang of construction hands employed by the railroad, and at the time the engine struck him, he was lying drunk upon the track. The body was taken to Shreveport, and an inquest was held in the evening. As no one appeared to identify the body, it was buried as one unknown. The verdict of the inquest was to the effect that no blame was attachable to the employees of the road. 
the imposition practised upon the freedmen together with other circumstances which will appear hereafter led the company to pursue the investigation with a view of learning if possible who the party was that was killed it was found that the name of william wackerle did not appear on the payroll of the railroad and this fact was certified to by the roadmaster paymaster assistant treasurer and foreman of the gang to which the man who was killed belonged the roadmaster made affidavit that to the best of his knowledge and belief william wackerle was not in the employ of the texas pacific railroad company as alleged and that he knows of no such man having been killed on said road but to his best knowledge and belief the only man killed on said road about the time at or near the place at which it is said william wackerle was killed was a man named frank Etin, who was an employee of the road at said time the paymaster of the road stated under oath that the name of william wackerle did not appear on any of the payrolls of said company as an employee or otherwise and that to his best knowledge and belief the man killed by the train on or about the twenty fifth of december eighteen seventy two at or near the place where it is said that william wackerle was killed was a man by the name of frank Etin, who was at the time of his death an employee of the texas pacific railway company the foreman of the gang of men engaged in track repairs on the texas pacific railroad to which the party killed belonged made affidavit that on or about the twenty fifth of december eighteen seventy two one frank etin was killed by a train going east near shreveport and there was no other man killed during that day or at that place that he knew the man killed personally he having belonged to his gang for about three and one half months and during that time was under his direction frank etin was a native of belgium he also stated that he never knew any man by the name of william wackerle frank etin was about five feet six and one half inch high fair hair gray eyes light complexion and whiskers inclined to be of reddish tinge he further stated that when mrs wackerle first came to him she described her husband as five feet ten or eleven inches in height weight one hundred and eighty to one hundred and ninety pounds high forehead high cheekbones black hair and eyes he told her that the man killed was not her husband during the investigation mrs wackerle remained in hartford she made special effort to extend her acquaintance and enlist the sympathy of the leading citizens of the city the rehearsal of her trials in getting the proofs and of the difficulties of her long journey to make personal application to the company for the insurance was very interesting and in the absence of knowledge of the facts would generally be accepted and believed with the information the company had there was no course to pursue but to decline to pay there was the clear evidence that the man killed was not her husband but a man by the name of frank etin mrs wackerle denounced the company in unmeasured terms because of its refusal to recognize and pay her claim and from the people to whom she related her story she obtained much sympathy she retained to shreveport with a view of perfecting the proof of her husband's death along the route she permitted representatives of the press to interview her respecting her grievances and columns were printed denouncing the companies for refusing to pay patrons of life insurance entered their protests against the position taken by the companies claiming that it was calculated to discredit the business at this time mrs wackerle had other strings to her bow there was due to the man Etin at the time of his death for services to the texas pacific railroad the sum of forty dollars 
the amount was paid to another labourer claiming to be a cousin of Etim. If she was successful in establishing the fact that her husband was the man killed upon the railroad, it was her intention to pursue the road not only for the forty dollars, but also for damages for killing him. She made demand at the general office of the road in Philadelphia for the forty dollars. Although the sum had been previously paid, to prevent the annoyance she gave the officers, they offered to pay her forty dollars provided she would sign a receipt releasing the road from all liability for damages. She declined to sign the receipt they requested, and denounced the officers for attempting such an imposition on her. She informed them they would yet have to pay smartly for attempting to cheat her. During her travels, Mrs. Wackerle ascertained that a certain bounty was paid by the government to its discharged soldiers, if applied for within a certain time. The limitation had expired before she became aware of the law granting the extra bounty. She went to Washington and insisted upon her claim being recognized. She told the story of her hardships, about her claims on the insurance companies and the railroad. As the widow of Mr. Wackerle, who was a faithful soldier, she demanded of the government that in some way it pay her the bounty to which she would have been entitled if applied for in time. The Secretary of War yielded to her solicitations and wrote a letter directed to the Committee on Claims, advising that a special act be introduced into Congress, granting her, as the widow of Wackerle, a bounty. Press of business prevented the introduction of the bill, and it went over to the next Congress. Mrs. Wackerle's trip to Shreveport was followed by the customary newspaper assaults upon the insurance companies. She brought suit against the Etna Life in the district court of Caddo Parish, Louisiana. Mrs. Looney and Elstner, attorneys at Shreveport, acted for her, and Mrs. Alexander and Bell were employed by the company. The cause came up for trial before Judge A.D. Land. The trial was of unusual length and elicited much interest among the people of Shreveport and vicinity. Some of the testimony introduced by the plaintiff was of a questionable character. Several of the witnesses had unenviable reputations, and it was shown in court that they were not worthy of confidence. It was admitted by the company that a man was killed, but it claimed that it was not Wackerle. The court and jury, however, concluded that as there was some indirect testimony to the effect that it was Wackerle, and as the widow insisted that it was her husband, they would give her the benefit of the doubt, and a verdict was given in her favor. The Etna attorney immediately gave notice of an appeal to the Supreme Court of Louisiana, July term, 1878. After the trial, Mrs. Wackerle again visited Hartford and New York with a letter from one of her attorneys directed to the Etna Company, in which he urged that the appeal be withdrawn. He stated that he recognized the company's right to know that the man killed was the identical party it insured. Having established that fact to the satisfaction of the district court, he relied on the high reputation of the company for fair dealing not to pursue this woman any further. Mrs. Wackerle's trip north was followed by another strain of newspaper abuse of the companies. An item appeared in the New York Mail, referring to the case, which came to the notice of a Mr. Joseph Weinman of Fairbold, Minnesota. He recognized the name of William Wackerle as a member of his company in the 9th Minnesota Regiment, and immediately wrote to the publishers of the Mail that he could give the company important information if put in correspondence with it. The letter was forwarded to the Etna, and an adjuster was immediately sent to Fairbolt 
for the purpose of ascertaining what Mr. Weinman knew respecting the case. The adjuster found that Mr. Weinman was a respectable citizen, and during the war was first lieutenant of Company H, 9th Regiment, Minnesota Volunteers, and that William Wackerle was a member of his company for about two years. He had known Wackerle well, and had been in correspondence with him for some time, Wackerle's object in writing Mr. Weinman being to obtain his assistance in procuring a pension from the government. Mr. Weinman showed the adjuster a letter he had recently received from Wackerle, written in California, in which he said, I would ask you to make some inquiries about my wife. Can you find out her whereabouts? She used to live in Quincy, Illinois, and I have heard that she married again. I was insured in two life insurance companies because she forced me to, and I did it to have peace with her, but it grew worse afterwards, and had I not left her, I would be dead long ago. I left her everything, bed, clothes, and the money of my land, and what I had earned, I worked for my passage to California. End of section 84